This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown, Ole Miss! This is college football game day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the forward of the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan! Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Ah, Death Valley will be rocking later tonight for an ACC top 10 heavyweight battle between number three Louisville and number five Clemson. Doesn't get better than this. Rich Sermonello, it's not the SEC we're talking about. It's the ACC that will take front and center stage later tonight. Second time in a couple of weeks, Joe, where we get a mega game in the ACC. We saw Louisville-Florida State on September the 17th. Now we see Louisville-Clemson. If the Cardinals win this game, I mean, is that it? I mean, can we give them the ACC Atlantic and possibly the ACC title? Heck, at this point, if it's Lamar Jackson, who's the catalyst, might as well give him the Heisman, right? Whoa, pump the brakes, my friend. We're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We are here for the next two hours. We're going to be breaking this game down in great detail. Rich and I have a great show planned for you today. 1031 Eastern Time, we're going to be joined by former Clemson punter Chuck Lynch. We'll get Chuck's take on the program. He's very close to Dabo Sweeney and the Tigers. Get his take on what the Tigers have to do to contain Lamar Jackson a little bit later tonight at 11 o'clock Eastern time. We're going to be talking Nebraska Cornhusker football with former All-American Ralph Brown. We'll get Ralph's take on the Cornhuskers and Mike Riley, what they have to do later today against Illinois in a classic Big Ten battle in Memorial Stadium. But this is what it's all about. We had some great games this week, Thursday night Houston took on UConn. They avenged their 2015 loss to the Huskies 20-17. They dominated that matchup in Houston 42-14. Greg Ward and the crew move on to week number six undefeated. And then some great games last night. I mean, unbelievable outcome. Washington dominated Stanford, handed the Cardinal their first loss of the season 44-6 in Seattle. A dominating effort. And then the shootout in Provo last night BYU hangs on for the 58-56 victory over Toledo. The teams combined for 1,278 total yards. I think that game ended about 30 minutes ago, Rich. Couldn't stay up to watch the end of that battle because of today's show. But unbelievable outcomes. And the one most thing that stood out to me last night was the domination in Seattle. The way that defense brought it to Stanford and Christian McCaffrey. Physicality on both sides of the ball and a quality win for Chris Peterson and the Washington Huskies. There's no doubt about it. You know, we've been wondering over the past month, Joe, who is the Pac-12 team that's going to emerge, give that conference a potential candidate to vie for a playoff bid. At this point, obviously, looks like it is going to be Washington. You mentioned the dominant defense. They had almost a perfectly balanced offensive performance. Jake Browning was sharp at quarterback. They rushed for more than 200 yards. Now you have to wonder, going forward, can Washington, 
Washington perform as the favorite with that target on their chest. They're the team that everyone is going to be hunting, not just in the North, but the entire conference. But really an exciting time to be in Seattle. It was uh, just a dominant all-around performance. And we saw the recipe to beat Stanford last week with the UCLA Bruin defense, how they contained mm-hmm. Christian McCaffrey. They held him to 138 rushing yards on the afternoon, but they methodically forced uh, Stanford to work down the field. Even though Stanford did pick up that victory, we saw the defensive game plan to sort of handcuff that Stanford Cardinal offense, and it followed through last night in Seattle. Chris Peterson and the crew, I mean, they were hitting out there. That's the one thing I think when you look at that matchup, you saw Washington bring the physicality to Stanford, something that the tables are usually turned. We, yeah. see, the, we see the Cardinal do it to everybody within the Pac-12 conference. They're the one team that I think when you look at it overall, Stanford was the epitome of an SEC caliber type of defense. Well, not last night. And more importantly, we saw the inexperience at the quarterback position. you got to remember Kevin Hogan, those marquee victories, an underrated quarterback. We always heard about David Shaw and the coaching staff and Christian McCaffrey over the last couple of years. But Kevin Hogan was an under-the-radar quarterback that made solid decisions, and his absence really showed, shined through last night in Seattle. A very good point, Joe. I I think we all had been critics of Kevin Hogan. He was up and down throughout his career on the farm, but he was the steadying force on that offense, especially during clutch moments in games. Now when you look at Keller Christ and Ryan Burns, quarterbacks with potential, but they just don't have the experience. And when teams realize that they can stack the box to hem in Christian McCaffrey, the dynamic of that team changes dramatically. 49 yards on on the ground last night least he's had since his freshman year in 2014. You wonder now, how far does he slip in the Heisman pecking order? Quickly in terms of BYU-Toledo exciting game, it was as if a holiday bowl had broken out in Provo last night. It was unbelievable. You saw Jamal Williams, their standout running back, rush for a school record, 282 rushing yards and five rushing touchdowns. BYU kicked a field goal, a 19-yard field goal with no time remaining on the clock to pick up that matchup. And Toledo's a solid MAC team. These MAC teams play very well when they step up in competition. We have a marquee MAC battle today. Western Michigan and Coach Fleck going on the road to face Cooper Rush and the Central Michigan Chippewas. Just a, one of the games that are on tap today. I mean, a great slate of action. You can follow me on Twitter at Go for the Two. That's the number two. You could follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. I mean, that's just the start of a great slate, uh, Rich. We have Miami going to Atlanta to face Georgia Tech in a solid ACC battle. Hurricanes do have Florida State on tap next week. We have Notre Dame and Syracuse. It's a fantasy sports uh, outing and tailgate. The crew is over there in MetLife Stadium. Brian Kelly and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish one in three. Can they turn their season around in Giant Stadium this coming weekend in about two hours against an upstart Syracuse team that did get a solid victory on the road last week, 31-24 to over UConn. And then we have some classic battles in Athens. I mean, 3-30, Josh Dobbs and the crew, can the momentum continue from last week, 38-28 to over Florida. They now have to go to Sanford Stadium where they haven't won since 2006 against Jacob Eason and the Bulldogs.
Bulldogs. And then later tonight, that marquee battle, Louisville and Clemson. We'll be breaking it down. Rich, let's just jump right into it. I want to talk about this ACC battle, Miami and Georgia Tech. I think this is a very difficult game for the Hurricanes, 3-0 overall. They face Florida State next week. They're coming out of a bye. But you remember at the start of the year, their defensive end, Quan Muhammad, kicked off this team for disciplinary issues. I think this is a game they're going to miss him because when you face the triple option and Justin Thomas at the quarterback position, your defensive ends need to play disciplined and gap integrity, and that can be an issue later today in Atlanta. It's a fascinating game for me, Joe, because I've been curious about Miami all season long. I don't know what the expectations are. I've been excited by how well they played. I'll admit I expected them to have a tougher time against Appalachian State two weeks ago than they did. They win that. I think it was 45-10. to To your point, not just the defensive ends, but this is a program that's starting three not freshmen, but true freshman linebackers now going up against Justin Thomas and that triple option offense. The defense has played very well, haven't faced a unique offense like they will today. You've got Brad Kaya, Mark Walton on offense, but the defense, I really want to see what Mark Ricks D can do against Georgia Tech. You mentioned the look ahead next week to Florida State. That'll be huge, but I really am keying on this game to see what the potential might be for the Canes out of the ACC Coastal. I'm with you and the reason why I think it's an intriguing battle and everybody says well Joe Miami's offense I get it the way you beat the triple option is that you have to score first the way Clemson did and put the pressure on Justin Thomas and that triple option to come from behind you have to get them out of their game plan but if Georgia Tech takes the opening drive and methodically works down the field takes eight minutes off the clock and gets a a scoring drive on the Hurricanes it's game on and the one thing I can tell you in terms of the triple option it's a lot different in game speed than it is in Mm -hmm. practice situations and keep in mind that Mark Richt and the Bulldogs last year struggled with Georgia Southern Georgia Southern pushed the Bulldogs to overtime they uh, Georgia picked up that victory but Georgia Southern was in that game from start to finish Is that an M.O. that we're going to have to see follow through a little bit later in Atlanta? It's a very difficult place to play Atlanta, and we'll see how it plays out. We'll also talk about Oklahoma and Bob Stoops and TCU and Gary Patterson. Interesting matchup taking place later tonight in Fort Worth. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. We're just getting started. We'll take a quick break. Stay with us on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. We'll start with that 12 o'clock battle in MetLife. Notre Dame and Brian Kelly, 1-3 overall, facing Dino Babers and the Syracuse Orange. Intriguing matchup, Rich. When I look at this battle overall, I mean, when you look at Notre Dame's season, a disappointing loss last week at home to Duke. I called it. I didn't think they would get the upset, but I thought that David Cutcliffe no, and the Blue Devils would be yep. in that game from start to finish. Now Notre Dame is reeling. Brian Kelly's called out the whole team except the long snapper. But let's be honest now. What is Notre Dame playing for? And when you look at the Syracuse team, they're buying into Dino Baber's system, even though they don't have the type of talent that will make his offense click at a high level. They're still moving the football, and Eric Dungy playing very well in his offensive scheme. 
Difficult to motivate kids after a one and three start when the expectation is to to make it to the playoffs, as you know, Joe. I, I, I think if you're a coach, a veteran like Brian Kelly, what you're looking at is the young kids are looking towards the future. The older kids, the upperclassmen are looking towards the NFL. And everybody has something to prove at this point. Brian Kelly, obviously furious, fires his defensive coordinator, Brian Van Gorder. So I think everyone has something to prove this week. I, I do believe you'll see a motivated Notre Dame squad. They still have a lot of limitations defensively that Syracuse and Dino Babers can exploit today. But I would be very surprised, and I think it'll be a statement about Brian Kelly, if the team today at 12 o'clock is listless or lackluster, lackluster or not executing, I think that could be a statement about what we could be looking at down the road for Brian Kelly and his future in South Bend. If this was a team last year that lost three games by a total of 20 points to opponents with a combined overall record of 38 and 4 overall or a 904 winning percentage. In those three losses though, they allowed 218 rushing yards per game. Again, when you look at this year, 201 rushing yards on the ground, they only have one sack and they're allowing 33 points per game. That's a recipe that I think Syracuse can exploit. I'm calling for the upset, so to speak. I think Syracuse will be in this game from start to finish. I think they get a three-point victory over Notre Dame today. I don't see any way the Irish bounce back. I think they get a three-point, 33-30 victory. Rich, quick thoughts before we head to break. Quick. It, it would be a damning loss, Joe, if that happened to Brian Kelly. It would be very hard for this coach to motivate his team uh, throughout the second half of the season. So I think look at the staff today. Look at their body language. That could be something worth monitoring at MedLife Stadium. Yeah, this is what it's all about. We're just getting started. We'll take a quick break. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Live from New York, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, continuing our coverage of week number five of the college football season. It's a dreary, cold, brisk day. It's football weather, Rich. I love it. We'll continue about this breakdown. Miami and Georgia Tech, I think when you look at it overall, Paul Johnson's on the hot seat. He needs to win now. They have an extra two days of preparation to implement their style of offense. This is an offense right now that's averaging about 216 yards on the ground, statistically off from where they were in the last couple of years under Paul Johnson. But let's be honest, they faced two solid defensive front sevens in Boston College, week number one in Ireland, and against Clemson last week. So I think those stats are a little bit deceiving, and that's why I like them up against Miami later today. I think they can move the football. Justin Thomas is an uh, an athletic quarterback that can work off a play action, and Bobby Dodd Stadium, not an easy place to play. I like Georgia Tech in this matchup later today. I wonder what the mindset right now of Georgia Tech is, Joe. I mean, I know you watched that game against Clemson. Clemson does have better defensive personnel than Miami does, but Miami still gets to the ball very quickly. They're youthful. One player I I really am excited about is Chad Thomas, a former five-star recruit who's finally beginning to play like a five-star recruit from the defensive end position. And I think think Miami is finally gaining confidence after those first three victories. They blow out Appalachian State. 
State. So I, I, I haven't seen anything from Georgia Tech so far. Yeah, they, they blow out a, a Vanderbilt team that's undermanned. I haven't seen anything from the Yellow Jackets to believe that this offense is clicking well enough to solve that Miami defense. And on the other side, just not a lot of defensive personnel that can stop Brad Kaya. They have very good tight ends like David uh, Najoku from New Jersey. Uh, he's a field stretcher. So I think Miami's rolling right now, and I think they continue with a road victory uh, in Atlanta. Ooh, here's what I'll tell you about Miami. A couple of factors why I like Georgia Tech. One, can you mention Miami. Can they be patient? Because they're going to have to be patient. Miami likes to start fast. They like to jump up early, and they like to put it on opposing offenses and defenses. If Georgia Tech scores early... Can the Hurricanes be patient enough to weather the storm until it's their right time? That's number one. Number two is the bye week. When a team is clicking and you get a bye week early on in the season, in my opinion, I think that could be a detriment. It could ruin timing in terms of the passing attack with Brad Kaya. And defensively, when you have a defense that's starting to gel, that's understanding gap assignments and gap integrity, as we call it, that could be a detriment. There could be a little bit of a rust factor coming out of a bye week as opposed to later in the year when you get healthy. Not not so much for a young team, though. See, I, I think early in a season, especially with Georgia Tech and the option next, Joe, I think this extra week benefits Miami because Shaq Quarterman, Michael Pinckney, Zach McLeod, all true freshman linebackers, that extra week to prepare for the triple option, and I know it's very different watching it on film versus uh, facing it in live action. I understand that. But seeing that Clemson game, having a chance to work with Mark, Mark Rick knows Georgia Tech, right? I mean, he faces them every year so this is not a foreign opponent or a foreign offense for him and his staff couple of games going on at 12 o'clock. It's a big one in the Big 12. Texas and Charlie Strong sitting at 22 in the country. Travels to Stillwater to take on Mike Gundy and the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Intriguing battle. Oklahoma State's won three out of the last five by 13 points per game. If you remember this game last year in Austin, they, uh, they, uh, they basically stole a game from Texas 30-27 to because of that punt at the end of the game that the yep. Longhorns muffed the snap. This is a must-win for Charlie Strong. I mean, we saw it with Les Miles and Gus Miles on last week. There's a possibility, in my opinion, Rich, they don't win this ball game. He could be gone after this week. Wow, look at you. You're like uh, the hatchet man out there uh, carrying a Joe Lisi with Sign his of the times. Just, Sign yeah, of the times. Slips just, just kind of like coming out of his uh, out of his suit jacket. I love it. Uh, it, it. Big game for Charlie Strong. Absolutely. Especially with Oklahoma coming up next. They lose against Cal two weeks ago, so we'll see how they come off of the bye week. To me, the difference in this game, Joe, is the ability to run the ball. Texas has the two big backs and Deontay Foreman uh, and Chris Warren in the second. Oklahoma State has struggled largely to run the ball. So that power running game combined with the passing of Shane Bouchelle, I think that's the difference in what should be a very entertaining game. You mentioned the rushing attack of Texas. They're averaging 238 yards on the ground. Oklahoma State allowing only 143 rushing yards per game. Uh, So it's an intriguing matchup. Who can dictate the tempo in that battle? But I'll tell you this about this matchup. Uh, Another thing to look at is Texas has 11 sacks on the year. Oklahoma State's on 
offensive line has allowed yeah. 14 sacks. And here's what I want to bring up about Oklahoma State. They're only averaging 126 rushing yards on the ground. But how much do they miss former quarterback J.W. Walsh, an underrated quarterback, Rich, that was utilized in read options, and he could also throw the football. He's no longer there. And when you watch some games that they won last year, especially that game in Lubbock where they fell behind by 17 points, J.W. Walsh was a guy that brought that team back, and now they're a one-dimensional type of team with Mason Rudolph where he's a pure pocket passer. There's no threat of the read option in this offense anymore. And it's interesting you bring that up for this opponent too, Joe, because Texas does have that ability with Tyrone Swoops. I mean, Sterling Gilbert, the new offensive coordinator, has done a nice job of juggling those two quarterbacks, the throwing of Bouchel, the running of Swoops. So Texas has that ability to mix it up offensively. For me, the Longhorns, what I want to see is fewer drop passes. You need to see a big game out of the likes of John Burt on the outside. You know that James Washington for Oklahoma State, he's going to put up big numbers. Texas has to match that with its receiving core, which has been suspect so far through the first three games. And that's a great point because you look at Oklahoma State's secondary, they're allowing 274 passing yards per game. Can Texas take advantage of that? They have a bye week as well, so they should be prepared for this battle because Texas and Charlie Strong needs to win now. This is a this could kickstart their season after that disappointing road loss in Berkeley. And this is an Oklahoma State team, Rich, that gave up 290 rushing yards on the ground to Pittsburgh and Pat Narduzzi. So, and when you mention those wide receivers of Oklahoma State, you mentioned James Washington, Jalen McCleskey, only a sophomore, J.J. McCleskey's son. He's a dynamic playmaker, much in the mold of Torrey Holt, in my opinion. Both of those guys have combined for 48 receptions, 712 yards, and four total touchdowns receiving. That could be the matchup that you want to keep an eye out for, too. Oklahoma State going up against Texas's secondary. Texas last year allowed 233 passing yards per game. It was their highest total since 08 when they allowed 259 yards per game. Entering this battle today, they're giving up 235 yards through the air. So can Mason Rudolph and that offense exploit that secondary, especially at home? We'll have to see. I think it's a must win for Texas. I'm going with their running ability. They need to win this game, but I don't feel that great about it. But I'm picking the Longhorns in a very close game. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if we're at the pick portion yet, but I I have this Texas 40, Oklahoma State 35. I think it'll be entertaining back and forth. Uh, offenses dominate, but at the end of the day, that ability to run the ball with power between the tackles wears out the Oklahoma State defense. I just was not impressed by the Cowboys last week in Waco. Neither line played well, so you'll have an opportunity for Charlie Strong to kind of cut loose, attack, and pressure that offensive line, which gave up like 15 tackles for loss last week. Interesting as well as turnovers could be a key in this battle. On the road, you need to force turnovers. Last year, Texas was plus 11 in turnover margin. Entering this game, they're minus three. So keep an eye out for that. We'll take a quick break. Chuck Lynch will be joining us next. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
back on College Football Game Day live from Fantasy Sports Radio Studios here in New York City. This is what it's all about, Rich. Sit back. It's a dreary day. Stay in bed. Stay on the couch. Get some food and watch football from 12 until 3 o'clock in the morning because we have some great games. Another one that I'm interested about is the Gators going to Nashville to face Vanderbilt today. I mean, that second half collapse for Jim McElwain and the Gators. They had that victory in hand for the most part. In my opinion, 21-3 to at the half in Neyland Stadium. They allowed 35 unanswered points in that battle and lost that game 38-28 to to the Tennessee Volunteers. Snapped their 11-game win streak. Where's their mindset as they head into Nashville today for a 12 o'clock kick? Yeah, that, that's a tough one because I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I think we both liked Florida last week. We both felt good about that pick at halftime. I thought Florida was uh, clicking certainly defensively. It looked like they were going to coast to a, to a 12th straight victory against Tennessee, and then they just collapse in all phases. I mean, even things that we counted on, like Jalen Tabor on the outside, struggled in pass defense. So, you know, it was a tough week. And, and it, for a lot of coaches, we get into this stage of the season, you have to be able to get these kids back up uh, quickly on a quick turnaround. That's the case against an opponent that isn't going to get Florida jazzed uh, facing the Commodores, but I think defensively they bounce back. They were embarrassed last week uh, in Knoxville. I think they bounce back against the Commodores, uh, get a victory. Maybe game two for Austin Appleby behind center. He'll be a little bit calmer uh, as he leads the Gator offense. It was interesting because you saw Danny Etling from LSU and Austin Appleby for Florida both making road starts in the SEC. Those were the two biggest games of their careers. They were the former Purdue quarterbacks that played in West Lafayette, and in my opinion, they didn't play a big game in the Big Ten, not to take away from the Boilermakers. You know I'm sipping them all day, and I'll be sipping them later today (laughs) against Maryland, but that was the biggest game in their careers. But I like Ralph Webb and this rushing attack for Vanderbilt. I think there's going to be about 8,000 fans in the the crowd today. Where's the Gators' mindset? Number one, I think they can run the football. Derek Mason's job is on the line. I think Florida gets a close victory because Vanderbilt plays Florida very well and traditionally tough in recent years. Well, you mentioned Derek Mason, man. That's something I always look at is the coaching impact. I, I, I think at a minimum, he has to perform well today. I, I don't know if this team has six wins on the schedule to get to, to bowl eligibility. And if that's the case, Joe, what what does Vanderbilt do? I mean, they, they typically don't have a quick hook. They realize the limitations. It, does he need to make we, a bowl game in order to, to get great, his job back? Great point. We'll take a quick break. Come back. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. The showdown in Death Valley later tonight, Louisville and Clemson. What better way to break this game down than with the former Tiger? He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. I want to welcome in former Clemson punter, Chuck Lynch. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. Hey, guys. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Chuck, a lot has been said about this Clemson team as they have limped through the 2016 early part of the season. A lot of people say this is not the same team that it was last year under Dabo Sweeney. I disagree with that statement, but I want to get your thoughts about this team as they enter this matchup against Louisville and Lamar Jackson. What do they have to do to pick up this victory tonight? Well, you know, it, the team is a little bit different. I mean, they're fighting their own way, and the personality that they had last year is uh, a little bit different than what they had this year. 
But look, the best they could be is four and zero, and there they are. They're four and zero. So um, you know, I wouldn't say that they're struggling. They're just trying to find their way. And uh, Clemson's D line is going to be, you know, pretty key to today's matchup. They're going to have to make sure to contain Jackson, but at the same time, by doing that, they're just going to have to make him beat them by the air. Um, he may get a couple good big plays, but uh, Clemson's D line is, is is really fast. They're focusing, you know, on different pursuit angles. They have nine guys that they really run through there. So they had a couple guys leave for the NFL last year, but to be able to replace uh, an NFL draft pick with future NFL draft picks is uh, not a bad thing for the Tigers. Chuck, Rich Sermonello, how are you this morning? Hey, good morning, Rich. Uh, talk a little bit about Deshaun. Uh, obviously, he sort of has been a, a microcosm for what would be somewhat of a slow start for the program through the first four games. Any concern in Tiger country with Deshaun, uh, his mindset, his play throughout this portion of the season? Well, if you look at the fans, of course, they're always concerned. But like I said earlier, they're 4-0. Um, but Deshaun, if you talk to him, and I, I was down in Clemson two weeks ago and uh, talk to him. He's going to be the first guy to tell you that he's off to a slow start this year. Um, but, you know, he's focused. Um, you know, if you look at the first uh, two games this year, uh, the wide receivers, they had 12 drops, 12 drop passes, and two of those, or excuse me, four of those were, were TDs that were, like, right in their hands. So um, the guys are still gelling. The timing was a little bit off, but uh, they've, they're still very, very confident. But Deshaun is a very humble humble kid and he uh he'll tell you you know he's he's not playing as what he what he expected to but i think they got the kinks out and they'll be ready to go tonight Chuck, when you think about Clemson tradition, I mean, I'm a long lover of Clemson. I mean, from the days of Terrence Flagler and Nelon Green, Tim Jones, the great linebacker, Brian Dawkins, they've been close, but never seen them take it to the next level. What can you say about what Dabo Sweeney's done in terms of his tenure there, knocking off LSU, knocking off Ohio State, knocking off Oklahoma in back-to-back years, Notre Dame and Auburn now? He's a big-game head coach. He's really transformed this program into a winner yeah he has and and um when you talk to him it's it's all about culture you know culture and then process and not the other way around and he just instills a great culture um of family uh down there and every time i go back down he welcomes me and he welcomes in all the former tigers it's just um you know just culture you can't really teach that it's just it's ingrained in him and the kids buy into it all the the coaches buy into it the fans buy into it the supporters buy into it and um you know obviously he he's great he has a great staff that knows their x's and o's and um but just the kids buy into the program and, and it's just a family and it's just a great place to be Chuck, uh, Joe talked briefly about Clemson, Clemson tradition. We all have a a great appreciation for Clemson tradition. You've had the great uh, uh, experience of running down the hill at Clemson. Can you talk a little bit about that and and what we can expect as fans looking from afar, what that experience will be like for those players tonight? Rich, I I can only tell you it's the most fun you can have with uh, with your clothes on. I'll tell you what, because it's it's one of the best – entrances of college football ever and anybody who's watching in on tv tonight make sure you're in front of the tv to watch the tigers run down the hill because i tell you what other schools try to have traditions and running running uh, into the stadium but clemson's is the best and uh cbs uh when, when clemson played georgia about two years ago did a great job of of 
um, explaining and bringing viewers into what it looks like in terms of how they come out of the locker room, get on the bus, go around the stadium, and then when you get to the top of the hill and you come out and touch that rock and you have 85, 90,000 people screaming for you, it's just electric. And, you know, looking down onto that field and looking at the opposing sideline, those guys are just cowering, you know, and ain't no feeling like it. It's the best. And having the opportunity to be, uh, have run down the hill probably 50, some odd times it's just uh it's just amazing and you've done it recently too right chuck i mean uh the the university invited you to do it a couple of weeks ago right yeah that's right uh we we uh my senior football class we we celebrated our uh 25th anniversary so uh part of Dabo's tradition of bringing everybody back they uh they announced the i think there was about 12 of us announced us right before they ran down the hill and they let us run down the hill with the team and uh, so we're all a little bit older and a little bit fatter and a little bit grayer, but we, none of us fell down. And uh, But it was still, I'll tell you what, it made every one of us want to suit up and, and knock the heck out of somebody, I'll tell you what. Chuck, when you talk about running down the hill, I would love to do that as well. But you talk about this rushing attack of Clemson last year, very prolific on the ground, 224 yards per game. I mean, they, in 11 of their 15 games, they rushed for over 200 yards per game. This year, entering this battle against Lamar Jackson and Louisville's defense, only 159 yards on the ground. And the one thing when you look at Deshaun Watson, last year he rushed for 1,104 yards and 12 rushing touchdowns. Entering this game today, only 120 yards on the ground, no rushing touchdowns. How much will they need his legs in this battle to pick up the victory later tonight? Yeah, it's a good point. He um, well, also to the first four games, uh, probably you know almost two of those games he didn't play in the second half um, against South Carolina State, and uh, and you know so his numbers are down a little bit. But you're exactly right, though. He has to he has to find ways to use all of his talents, not just from uh, you know being able to pass. But they're going to need him and his that. Uh, uh, the the read option play that they uh, that they run multiple versions of that is definitely going to be dependent on his success to get out in the open and uh, make them hit because once he starts running then that that makes the defense um, you know have to focus on him as a, as a as a threat as well as amongst the air. Chuck, any defensive players that uh, that you expect to really stand out tonight? I mean, I, I'm thinking of like a Ben Bolware being one of those kids that's a, a catalyst for a big defensive effort from Clemson. Anyone you're going to be focusing on this evening? Yeah, I, I, I was going to say the same thing. Ben, Ben definitely because he's a leader of that defense, and uh, he's 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 pretty healthy this week, and uh, he'll be ready to go. But that whole Clemson defensive line, all nine guys that they have cycling through there, pay attention to them because they have. Um, you know, big bodies in there, and these guys can run fast. And they're going to be fun to watch because they're going to wear down that offensive line in Louisville. And uh, these guys have, you know, they're 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 six two, six three, six five, all all you know, up there in weight. But these guys can move it. So they put a couple hits on on Jackson, and uh, that's going to change the game around. So I look at the whole defensive line, as well as uh, Ben being the uh, the center of that defense. Chuck, great insight and great information. We hope you enjoyed it today. We'd love to get you on a little bit later in the year as the season progresses. Thanks for joining us. Hey, I really appreciate you having me. Go Tigers.
That was former Clemson punter from 87 to 1991, Chuck Lynch. Rich, very interesting about the rushing attack with Deshaun Watson. He agreed that they're going to need to get him involved on the perimeter to put some pressure on that Louisville Cardinal defense. But more importantly, this defense of Clemson, very underrated, Rich. And he mentioned Bullware. He is an underrated linebacker. I love the way this kid plays. Yeah, he's an old schooler. He's going to bring a lot of passion. He's going to bring a lot of intensity. He's going to fly all over the field. He's going to get his players elevated. Uh, I also like what Chuck mentioned about the rotation of the defensive line, Joe. Uh, they don't have the the NFL-ready kids right now, but I think they have better depth than they did a year ago. And when you t- speak about a year ago, last year they allowed 21 points per game entering this battle, only allowing 11 points to opposing offense. They're only giving up 92 rushing yards per game and only 125 yards through the air and more importantly they're holding opposing quarterbacks to 47% completion percentage. We'll take a quick break. We'll break this game down as we move on. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Live from the Big Apple, and we're talking college football. That's right. We talk college football in this pro town. Hey, hey, little Yankee boy. They're saying two Italian guys. What do they know about college football, Rich? I put our knowledge up against anybody in the country, and I want to talk about this Florida-Vanderbilt game a little bit more in depth. I really think Vanderbilt will be in this game from start to finish. Low scoring, but like I said, I, I could see Vanderbilt pushing Florida to the limit. I could see in the area 21 to, to 17, 21 20. I think it's going to be very close because Vanderbilt needs to win. They're 2-2 two and two overall, and Derek Mason's job is on the line. You, you, might, you might be onto something here, Joe. I, I think it's a good fit for Vanderbilt. What has Vandy done well over the past couple of seasons, whether it was James Franklin or now Derek Mason? They're a good defensive team, and they typically can run the ball with Ralph Webb. Now, passing game is going to be an issue, but look at defensively. Players like Zach Cunningham, Torrin McGaster. I mean, they have like legitimate next-level NFL-type players, and Florida struggling offensively. So if this is a nip-and-tuck sort of tight game in the second half, I, I would wouldn't be surprised either. And Vandy's going to need Kyle Shermer to stretch that secondary a little bit to open up some running lanes. But again, if they jump up early, they could dictate tempo, slow the game down, and get Florida into that ugly, low-scoring type of game. Then they have a shot. Plus, how many fans are going to be in Nashville at 12 o'clock for this ball game? Maybe, maybe 3,000, 5,000? I mean, that's the one and thing. Uh, yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. oh, a lot of them. Are, a lot of them are going to have textbooks too. I think maybe <laughs> studying for for exams next week. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know if there's going to be a. It might be a sleepy atmosphere, and after you know, after Knoxville last week, it might be kind of tough for Florida to, to to get up for this battle. I definitely see where you're going with this one. Two Big Ten games that we have to touch on. You called it last week. I I don't own any Penn State guard, but if I did, I'd burn it in the garbage because <laughs> the way they lost that game in Ann Arbor last week, three hundred and twenty. 26 yards allowed. This is a tough game for Penn State, and I'm calling for the upset. Minnesota and Tracy Clays with Mitch Leidner upset Penn State in Happy Valley today. 
Well, what what would Sandy Barber, you know, say uh, at Penn State after she, you know, she gives that dreaded vote of confidence this week to James Franklin? Stop with the hot seat, she says. He's going to be back. He's going to be fine. A loss against Minnesota today might change that uh, that direction a bit. I think Les Miles got the same type of treatment too uh, on the Friday before he went on the planes in Auburn. Next thing you know, his bags were packed. He's no longer there. So we'll see how that game plays out. We'll talk about it. We'll also talk Northwestern and Iowa. We're going to take a quick break. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network live from New York. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, we left off with Louisville and Clemson. We're going to continue the breakdown of that game. We spoke with former Clemson Tiger punter Chuck Lynch and got his take. Defensively, Rich, I mean, Brett Venables has done a fantastic job. Two years ago, they had the number one ranked statistical defense in college football. They lost eight starters. They just reloaded last year. And what they were able to do last year, they held eight of 15 opponents to 43% completion percentage. They held 10 of 15 opponents to 150 rushing yards or less last year. And they only allowed 125 rushing yards on the ground as a unit last year with eight new starters. You look at this team entering this game tonight, seven interceptions through four games, plus three in turnover margin. And when you only allow 92 rushing yards on the ground, you can keep Lamar Jackson in that pocket on the perimeter. The way they held Georgia Tech in check last week because they can run sideline to sideline. I think they could keep Lamar Jackson in the pocket and more importantly entering this game tonight. Lamar Jackson only completing 58% of his passes. Yeah, and I watched some film of Jackson, like any young quarterback, Joe, when when he endures pressure, he rushes his passes, he tends to sail throws, he'll ground some passes. So you obviously can uh, disrupt him in the pocket and force him into mistakes. It's exactly what Clemson wants to do. You mentioned uh, a defensive coordinator that I would put in my top five right now, and Brent Venables consistently does a great job, regardless of the change in personnel, and they change every year. They have a lot of turnover. Uh, the other thing, too, is that we have yet to talk about the Louisville defense. And, and, and I think that's kind of an interesting sidebar that maybe we're missing. Uh, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Clemson defense. Louisville defense has a lot of talent and a lot of speed. So I'll be very interested to see what Todd Grantham does, what he has up his sleeve in order to slow down that Clemson offense. Yeah, great point. And we're not one-sided here. We are going to get into Louisville. They are explosive offensively, putting up 63 points per game, balanced attack, three. 118 rushing yards per game and 363 passing yards through the air. And they have big play wide receivers as well with Jabari Staples and Jalen Smith that have combined for 38 receptions, 875 yards, five receiving touchdowns. They have a solid running back in Brandon Radcliffe. And you mentioned their defense with Todd Grantham. They're only giving up 22 points per game, but they're solid in run support and in the back end, led by safety Josh Harvey Clemens. Louisville's only allowing 150 56 passing yards per game, one of the top statistical defenses in the country, and they have 15 sacks through four games. They have a big play linebacker in Kelsey and Devontae Fields in the front seven, so this is a team that can force Deshaun Watson into mistakes on the road. Clemson's won the last two games by a total rich of nine points. They won 20-17 to last year in Louisville, and two years ago they won 23-17, to but Louisville, if they
they start quick could put the pressure on Clemson to respond, and this is an offense that still isn't hitting on all cylinders just yet. Yeah, and what you want to do, obviously, if you're Louisville, is you want to take that crowd. Chuck talked about the crowd, the intensity, the the you know the running down the hill, and what that electrified atmosphere will be like. Well, you know what? You get off to a quick 7-14 nothing lead off of the legs of Lamar Jackson, and all of a sudden that crowd is going to quiet down considerably. I like what Todd Grantham has does has done. I like what Bobby Petrino has done in terms of giving second chances to kids from other programs like Devontae Fields. Uh, uh, you know, like Josh Harvey Clemens, like Tremaine Washington and Shaq Wiggins. So, you know, I, I think this is a very talented, very quick defense. And, you know, Clemson has already struggled, Joe, with the likes of Troy. That was a 30-24 to 24 game against the Sun Belt defense. So uh, how they match up with Louisville tonight is going to be fascinating. And here's the matchup I want to see, because even though they're not hitting on all cylinders, the offensive line for Clemson playing very, very well, only allowed three sacks in four games. If they could protect Sean Watson and allow him to go through his reads and progressions to attack that secondary, that could be the matchup you want to keep an eye out a little bit later tonight. That front seven of Louisville that has 15 sacks, can they bring pressure off the edge to get to Deshaun Watson? That's the matchup that you want to see play out. And it's a chess match because, again, when Todd Grandin was the defensive coordinator at Georgia, he had a very complicated scheme and system. That was the one thing the Bulldogs didn't like. They had a think a lot as opposed to reacting well now we see this defense and they're they're gelling and they're playing very very well on both sides of the ball yeah, and one other thing, too, is I'm not really a big fan of the Louisville offensive line. That's another matchup that I'm targeting this evening, Joe, is the offensive lineman of Louisville versus that very deep, very fast defensive line of Clemson, true freshman Dexter Lawrence, uh, sophomore Christian Wilkins. They, they really have a tremendous amount of talent. I wouldn't be surprised if three or four of those kids wind up playing on Sunday. So can that Louisville offensive line hold up against the pressure of a very good Clemson defensive Line. You mentioned that offensive line. Last year, they allowed 44 total sacks as a unit. And much of that, though, I'll give them the, the, the credit to where it was due. That was because Lamar Jackson was a true freshman. He went through a lot of reads and progressions. He didn't know where he wanted to go with the football. So uh, about half of those sacks were because he wasn't confident in the pocket. A much different quarterback last year than he was this year. He knows where he wants to go with the football. He understands his reads and progressions. And if it's not there, we've seen them tuck it and run. So that's a matchup that you want to see play out. And that's what makes this game so intriguing. Yeah, and that's the benefit of an additional year with Bobby Petrino, who is one of the best uh, quarterback mentors in the country. He had an additional offseason, those 15 practices in the spring, August. Now you see a much more mature and developed Lamar Jackson. That's the Lamar Jackson we'll see tonight. And, oh, by the way, he's only two years in, so he'll be back in 2017. Yeah, we are just getting started, and we did not forget about the battle in Ann Arbor, the big house between Wisconsin and Michigan. We're just touching the palate. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by former Nebraska Cornhusker Ralph Brown. We'll talk Nebraska-Illinois. We'll take a quick break. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. (laughs) 
back on college football game day. We left off with Northwestern in Iowa and Penn State in Minnesota. I'm picking the upset with the Golden Gophers, Rich. I know uh, Penn State, they might play well today, but I don't see it. They allowed 326 yards on the ground to Michigan. And on top of that, they can only rush for 70 yards with Saquon Barkley. I don't like the way this team is playing. More complete team and the better quarterback in Mitch Leidner. Tracy Clays and the crew get the upset on the road in Penn State today. Yeah, that would be devastating, obviously, uh, to the entire Happy Valley and to to head coach James Franklin. To your point, Penn State, uh, Joe, is also struggling with a dearth of healthy linebackers. That that was the problem last week. Michigan uh, Michigan hadn't run the ball well all season long, and then they go for over 300 yards last week in large part because Penn State is so devastated on the second level. Minnesota always tends to run the ball well. Leidner will get outside the pocket and pick up yards. Uh, You might be convincing me at this point i was thinking penn state but you're making quite a quite a pitch i might be uh, heading toward gopher territory myself i have those thoughts of thomas hamner and the crew knocking off uh penn state back in the joe paterno days where they got that upset victory in happy valley so we'll see how that plays out a little bit later today i'm picking minnesota here's a game that i really like iowa and northwestern iowa dominated this matchup 40 to 10 last year they rushed for over 200 yards in that battle they haven't looked good two weeks ago they lost that home to North Dakota State, had the hangover effect in Rutgers. They won 14-7, to but they come back home for homecoming, and this is a Northwestern team that's struggling, and they allowed 310 rushing yards to Nebraska in Ryan Field last week. I think Iowa gets healthy in a big way and dominates Northwestern. I'm calling this game by about 20-23 to points. Hawkeyes get healthy over the Wildcats today. I think you're spot on. I, I think the way you laid it out is perfect, Joe. A, co- a couple of tough weeks. Uh, they weren't motivated for Rutgers last week, but now they come home for homecoming. They have the advantage in talent. I, I expect to see C.J. Beathard, despite the fact that he's missing a key target this weekend. Big game from C.J. Beathard. I would expect to see that defense in particular, led by Desmond King, play very well against uh, Clayton Thorson and Northwestern. So I agree with you. Iowa has to make a statement, particularly as the West, like Nebraska and Wisconsin, are playing so well. I expect to see an A game out of Iowa today. Yeah, we'll touch on Rutgers, Ohio State, Kansas State, West Virginia, Virginia, and Duke. We'll take a quick break. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. We love talking about college football live from New York. Nothing better. This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown, Ole Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Intriguing battle taking place within the Big Ten today in Memorial. Stadium between Illinois and Nebraska. What better way to break this down than with the former Cornhusker? He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. I want to welcome in former Nebraska standout, All-American, and member of the Nebraska Hall of Fame. On top of that, a star in the NFL. I want to welcome in former Cornhusker Ralph Brown. Ralph, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. 
Ralph, you look at this battle against Illinois and Lovey Smith, uh, Nebraska 4-0. You look at last year where they lost five games by a total of 30 points. How did that build the resolve in this team for the undefeated start entering 2016 here? Well, you look at how they finished the season last year. They had a lot of heartbreakers in the early makings of the season, but they started to make their adjustments throughout the course of the year. The secondary started to improve. Tommy Armstrong started to improve. And you look at the end of the season, they finished the season, they won their bowl game, and they carried that over. They played with a chip on their shoulder and, and worked out with a chip on their shoulder coming into this year, and it's showing up. The experience, the anger and frustration from last year, losing those close nail-biters, and now it's showing up with the experience. Tommy Armstrong not turning over the football and they're rolling right now at 4-0. Hey, Ralph, Rich Sermonello. You mentioned Tommy. It's obvious through four games this is a different quarterback than the past couple of years. From a nuanced standpoint, what are some of the, what are some of the specifics that you've seen change year over year now that he's a senior? Well, the one major thing that I've noticed is his brain is slower. He's diagnosing defenses much better. He's not rushing the football, not telegraphing his throws, and he's making sure his ball placement is much better. He makes decisions on third down. If it's not there, he throws the ball away, and he lives to fight another down. That's the improvement from Tommy Armstrong. He's utilizing his legs when he's supposed to, and he's being a much more well-rounded quarterback to help Nebraska this year, and it's shown up, and it's shown up well. Ralph, when you look at this defense overall at the end of Bo Pelini's tenure in Nebraska, they weren't the black shirts. We talked about it in depth. Not the same type of physicality. When Mike Riley got there, they turned around the rush defense. They only gave up 110 rushing yards per game last year, but it was that back end, the secondary. They allowed 291 passing yards per game, but this year, Mike Riley and that crew has turned it around. They're only giving up 200 107 yards through the air. How big of an improvement was that? And what did they do schematically for this 360 turnaround? Well, you look at last year, you look at what they had to change from Bo Pelini. With Bo Pelini, it was a pass-centric secondary. And last year, they had to play quarters and make that adjustment. They didn't know how to make their adjustments. They, they, it looked like they were playing not to make mistakes, not naturally in, on the secondary and on the defensive side of the ball. You carry them into a second year being more comfortable. You have a lot of the same guys coming back. Now they know their fits, and they're playing well as a team. And they just improved towards the end of the season. Now they're playing with a chip on their shoulder with that continuity, the experience on the back end, and everybody on the front seven coming back. They're excited about this year, and it's showing up. Ralph, obviously a big difference when it when the changeover happened from Bo Pelini uh, to Mike Riley. How has the community, that tight-knit football community in Lincoln, how have they embraced Mike Riley over the past 18 months or so? Well, you know, initially a lot of fans, people that were bowlievers, they, they, they believed in Bo Pelini and what he did going to you know Big 12 championship and going to Big 10 championships. But at towards the end of the season, the Nebraska fans were split. It was severed right down the middle, and it was because of Bo Pelini, his, his, how he would fly off the handle. So when they brought in Mike Riley, a lot of people in the Midwest never heard of Mike Riley, really. They didn't know him coming from the West Coast. When they brought him in, uh, the AD, I-Course, they were wondering, who is this guy, Mike Riley? I knew about him. I knew his knowledge and expertise, but it just didn't turn around last year. 
So it took him one more offseason. Now they're they're rolling. He's proving it to them that he can coach with his staff, and they're loving what Mike Riley's doing right now. He's the man in, in Lincoln right now, winning games, and they're looking good. Ralph, I had the opportunity to speak to three-time Super Bowl champion Roger Craig and former Nebraska Cornhusker when Mike Riley got there last year. And the one thing he told me, and I want to ask you, is that he embraced the former Letterman and the former All-Americans and the, and the players that built that program. And I, and I mentioned to Roger, I said, Roger, that didn't happen under Bo Pelini? He said, absolutely not. He segregated the former players. And I was shocked to hear that and find out your take about the situation because has Mike Riley embraced the former black shirts that brought that team to prominence in Memorial Stadium? Yes, he's he's more than embraced us. I mean, he's reached out to a lot of us, written us letters, phone calls to different guys saying, hey, look, you're a part of this family. Come check out practice. Come check out the games. We want you back. And he knows the recipe to success. And you look at all these teams that are really successful, Alabama, when Miami wins, all the former players come back when we win. Our former players are back because it's a family. And the athletic directors and good coaches that know that always welcome their former players back so the current players can know we're a family and they can come back after they're done as well. He's cultivated and instituted a nice football scheme and a family atmosphere in Lincoln. Ralph, uh, uh Ross Zoris, five-and-a-half tackles for loss, the defensive end, senior defensive end, leads the team in sacks, former walk-on. Could you just touch on quickly the importance of the tradition of walk-ons in Lincoln and what how that's impacted the Huskers over the years? Well, yeah, when I was there, I mean, it was amazing. There was just a walk-on program where guys from Lincoln and, and Nebraska in general can just come and try and get a scholarship and be a part of a team at such a university of rich tradition. And, and Zuris has been doing a great job to walk on. And he's been working really hard in the weight room, in the classroom as well, and paying his dues. And now it's showing up. Those are the guys, those are the backbone players of Nebraska throughout all of the years when I was there. And it's still showing up now with Zuris and the way he's playing on that defensive line. Ralph, when you look at this team overall, they're undefeated and they got that quality victory over Oregon. It wasn't easy, but they got the victory. Last year, they couldn't pick up those type of wins. Now they're rolling at 4-0 overall. Everybody's talked Michigan. Everybody's talked Ohio State. Everybody now is talking Wisconsin. Could this be the team to make it to the Big Ten Championship? And more importantly, does this team have the tools to make a playoff run? Well, one, yeah, they're they're rolling right now. They're really confident, and I think this team, the more wins they get, the tougher they're going to be to beat, and they're going to believe they can get to the Big Ten Championship game. The one thing is, they got two tough contests after this stretch of three games versus Illinois today, Indiana and Purdue. They should they should go three and zero in that stretch, but then they go back to back games against Wisconsin, October 29th, and then at Ohio State, November 5th. So those are the two games that I think are going to be the tell if Nebraska can represent the West in the Big Ten Championship game. I think they can. Nebraska, not Nebraska. Wisconsin's looking really, really good right now. they got a tough matchup against, against Michigan today. But I think it's a toss-up right now between Nebraska and Wisconsin, and we'll see what happens throughout the course of the season. Ralph, any chance of looking beyond Illinois? I mean, you've gotten a finger on the pulse of this team in terms of how they're, uh, how they're wired. Do they look past a weaker Illinois team today? 
No, they definitely don't because Mike Riley and his staff know every game counts. They still have a bad taste in their mouth from losing last year, losing to Illinois uh, uh, last season. They've been talking about this game the entire week. Get back. We got to get Illinois for beating us last year. And that's the mindset that I like that, that Mike Riley and the offense and defensive coaches have infused in this team. They don't overlook games. Every game is a big game, and they want to get these Ws, especially when you lose as many games as they did last year. They want to salvage each W and just knock each one down throughout the course of the year. Ralph, it's always a pleasure. I love your insight on the game, and more importantly, of this great program of Nebraska. Next time you're in New York, partner, I'd love to see you in person. I hope you enjoyed it today. Yeah, definitely. I'll definitely hit you up. Thank you. My pleasure. That's former Nebraska standout All-American Ralph Brown giving us his breakdown about Nebraska and Illinois. One thing about this matchup overall, Illinois picked up this victory in Champaign. Wes Lunt and the crew got a last-second touchdown to pull that game out 14-13 to in Champaign. They're now on the road in Memorial Stadium. Is this payback for Tommy Armstrong and the crew? We're just getting started. It should be a very intriguing battle when we come back rich and i will be running rogue we'll be going down all the games in our prognostications stay with us this is joe lisi and rich sermonello on the fantasy sports radio network live from new york Rapid fire selections. We're going to get right into it. Just to leave off, Rich and I both like Iowa to get healthy today over the Wildcats. It's homecoming in Iowa. We both think that they dominate this matchup. I'm calling for a 23-point victory. Rich also likes the Hawkeyes in that battle. We'll stick rapid fire with another Big Ten game. Rutgers on the road in Columbus to face Urban Meyer. Rich, I think there's no doubt Ohio State wins this game, but Chris Ash, your former assistant under Urban Meyer, he understands the personnel. More importantly, Rutgers has only given up 180 passing yards per game, and they're pounding the rock for 226 on the ground. Think they could force JT Barrett on the sidelines, get some ball control drives, and they keep it under 39 points today. I see Rutgers covering this line against Ohio State later today. Yeah, I think it'll be a bloodbath, Uh, you know, indicative of just uh, how much more talent Ohio State has than Rutgers at this point. I I think the backups will will be successful. Uh, I see Ohio State beyond 40 in an easy victory. All right, here we go. Here's one of my better picks. I know we're uh, bucking heads on this one, and I don't care. Kansas State has won four out of four since 2011, four and oh against uh, West Virginia by 17 points per game. Bill Snyder is great, methodical offense. Guess what? West Virginia dominates this matchup in Morgantown. Way too much speed on the perimeter, and more importantly, I think they force that offense and Ertz to play catch up. Russell Shell, Skyler Howard dominate by 17 or more in Morgantown later today. It's a 3.30 start. You're going to hear from me all day on this one. Oh, I, I do can't not wait. I see can't it. Wait. No, no, we're going head-to-head. They Let's should put cameras it. on us on a Saturday. I can't that wait. That would be entertaining. No, no way. It's not happening. I love the Kansas State defense. Dante Barnett on the end. Will Geary up front. Uh, uh, Elijah Lee at linebacker. Too good defensively. West Virginia really hasn't been challenged this year. They will be challenged. I think this is a toss-up game. I could see it going either way. I'll take West Virginia winning because it's at home. 
But I, Joe, I, I don't see how you how you get the plus seventeen. Well, in this game. I'll tell you this: physicality. West Virginia's played physical teams. Missouri, very physical on the offense and defensive lines. They dominated them week number one. Won that ball game by fifteen. They really put it to Taysom Hill and BYU last week. They dominated that matchup and held on. They almost lost. They, they almost they won. lost. They won. It doesn't matter. Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill was in the red zone, Joe, with a shot to pull that they game made out. The plays. It's an average BYU team. Hold that thought, Sermonello. Hurled that thought. We'll get it back on the back end. We're going to take a quick break. This is Lisi and Sermonello right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. We're going head-to-head next. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. The battle in the big house at 3.30 today. Wisconsin and Paul Chris travel to Ann Arbor to take on Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines. Who will prevail? The teams last played in 2010, but we saw the Badgers pick up a dominating road victory 30-6 over Mark D'Antonio and the Michigan State Spartans. Can the momentum continue on the road in Ann Arbor, Rich? Obviously, I've been overwhelmed, Joe, by how well Wisconsin has played. I I mean, I I think Paul Crist has been the best coach of September behind possibly Bobby Petrino. Two quality wins over LSU. You mentioned Michigan State. And the Michigan State win was dominant. I mean, I didn't see that coming. Certainly didn't see it at 30-6. to The problems I have is, you know, Alex Hornibrook now going up against that Michigan defense, which is getting better each week. A lot of talent for Don Brown. And now you have Vince Beagle, one of their keys at linebacker, is not going to play in this game, won't play for the next couple of weeks. So shorthanded in Ann Arbor, it's a tough matchup. I think they'll compete. I just don't know if they have enough offense to pull another upset. You bring a great point about Vince Beagle being out of this ball game because Wisconsin only allowing 11 points per game to opposing offenses, only giving up 80 rushing yards per game and 196 yards through the air. A lot of people thought because Dave Aranda, their former defensive coordinator, moved to Baton Rouge that this defense would take a hit. Well, statistically much better than they are last year. They gave up 95 rushing yards per game. They're 15 yards better entering this matchup against Michigan. You look at Michigan's defense, they're only giving up 13 points per game. And in the back end, I think, is where they hold the advantage. They're only giving up 147 passing yards to opposing offenses. They're giving up 122 rushing yards on the ground. But this rushing defense getting much better in back-to-back weeks against Penn State and Colorado. They only allowed 70 yards to the Nittany Lions last week. And two weeks ago, only 64 yards on the ground to the Buffaloes. I think they can make uh, Hornibrook in this offense one-dimensional. And more importantly, here's the thing that I think Jim Harbaugh has on his side now. Plus four in turnover margin this year. The last two years, you could go back to 2014, they were the one of the worst statistical defenses in turnover margin, minus 16 overall. Even though they won 10 ball games last year, they still ended the year at minus four. So one thing that Jim Harbaugh wanted to fix, well, this defense is forcing turnovers. And as you know, Rich, in big ball games, you need to force turnovers to get field position. So that's why I like Michigan in this matchup. 
Yeah, and if you have a concern, Joe, about Michigan this week, it, it probably is on the offensive side of the ball. They ran it well last week with Davion Smith, but largely have struggled. They don't really have a dynamic feature back. Uh, they haven't been great running the ball. Wilton Spate still has to prove it against a very good defense, and even without Beagle, Wisconsin is so fundamentally sound. They're such a hardcore blue-collar defense. I don't think Michigan runs away with it, but again, I I could see something out of Jabril Peppers. Uh, Rashawn Gary maybe off the edge, strips the ball, and Peppers takes it in for, for a touchdown. I think Michigan wins, but but again, they're going to have to grind it out to get past this Badger football team. Well, here's the thing about Wisconsin. When you say, why are they having success early on? They're undefeated. What's the difference, right? Well, I could tell you what the difference is. Last year, they only rushed for 150 yards on the ground, and a lot was said because of Corey Clement was injured in that offensive line wasn't gelling. But you look deeper into the numbers. They only averaged 150 yards on the ground in 2015. Compared to uh, over the last three years, in 2013, they rushed for 283. In 2014, with Melvin Gordon, they were at 320. But you look at their three losses last year to Alabama, Northwestern, and Iowa, Rich. They were handcuffed and became one-dimensional. As a team, they only rushed for 33 rushing yards per game in those three losses. Entering this battle in Ann Arbor, they're pounded the rock for 184 yards on the ground. When you do that, you open up play action for no matter who's playing quarterback, Houston or Hornibrook. That's why this offense is playing much better. But I do think the inexperience of Hornibrook shines through in terms of reading coverages today in the big house. And I see Michigan winning a, a tough game, I think in the area of about 14 to 15 points. I don't think it'll be that way the whole game, but I think in the end, a couple of fourth quarter turnovers and Michigan does get a double digit victory 14 yeah. to 17 points over Wisconsin today. I'm with you. I have a 27-16. I think we see this game in a similar fashion. It could be a little bit ugly. could be dominated by the defenses and special teams. And Michigan special teams led by Chris Partridge has been just off the hook good this season. That's something that doesn't get as much attention as it deserves. But I think it'll be nip and tuck for a while. But eventually Michigan's going to pull away. Again, I have it plus 11. I think they cover the spread. Sounds like you have the same thing. But you know, you live to see another day. Here's a question for you. If Wisconsin happens to pull another upset, do we elevate them to the point? I know it's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but do we elevate them to the point where they're actually a playoff contender? You have to. I mean, how can't you? I mean, after Iowa's run last year, they were up in the top 10, and we saw Michigan State, after they beat Iowa in the Big Ten championship game, they vaulted into the playoff. Everybody has Michigan as a possible dark horse for the playoff. They opened up in Vegas as a 7-1 to favorite. I mean, how can't you consider the Badgers if they dominate this game the way they did on the road in East Lansing there's no doubt and you mentioned discipline they're only committing 3.8 penalties per game in big games the team that's disciplined usually wins so that's an intriguing statistic and you look at the front sevens of both teams Michigan does have 17 sacks through four games Wisconsin playing very well though as well 11 sacks so that's the matchup do you want to see which offensive line protects their quarterback early on to make plays. 
I, I like that you mentioned Iowa, Joe, because that's the kind of season that I see potentially developing, not picking the upset today, but I, but I see them having that Iowa 2015 potential. It's not always sexy. It's rarely going to be flashy, but it's always effective because the kids play hard, the coaches coach up that talent, and Wisconsin finds a way to win with a strong offensive line, terrific defensive play, so somewhat reminiscent uh, of, of Kirk Ferentz's uh, team last year. And the one thing that I will say to take away from both teams, yes, you're right about Iowa, but last year they did not play Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio mm. State. If somehow Wisconsin gets the victory in Ann Arbor, you have to look at the three teams that they would have to defeat. Michigan, Michigan State, and LSU, a top five team. That, that's a, a pretty solid resume. How can you argue that, especially at the point in the season that the Badgers played all of these teams? So that's the one difference in terms of when you look at Iowa yep. and Wisconsin, I would give the edge to Iowa in those two scenarios. It's a very good point. Yeah, very good point. Scheduling, uh, much different. Wisconsin, now now even the West looks better than it did last year. Nebraska playing well. Wisconsin would have to go through the Huskers as well, so that's an excellent point. Let's turn our attention to the battle in Sanford Stadium. SEC matchup, Josh Dobbs and Butch Jones-Rich. Josh Dobbs and the crew, Tennessee overall, hasn't won in Athens since 2006. They're 1-4 over the last five years against Georgia. Lost those games by 5.2 points per game we're headed to break but quick thoughts overall about what this game represents Tennessee to me too erratic to bring it consecutive weeks I think we'll see a little more of first half Tennessee versus Florida than we did see Vols in the second half against the Gators We'll break this game down. When you look at statistics overall for Tennessee, I mean, they're pounding the rock for 186 yards on the ground, 201 yards through the air. They're coming off 179 rushing yards performance against Florida. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll break this game down in greater detail. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day, when we left off, Rich and I were getting into a heated battle. K-State and West Virginia, he was calling me loco, I think. Rich, reiterate what you were saying, because I know Mountaineers are big today, 17 points in Morgantown. I'm going out on a ledge, just the way I did my Aggies. West Virginia rolls. Folks who are listening, it's at go for the two (laughs) with the number two. When this game is tight... K-State fans, I'm imploring you to just blow up Joe's Twitter (laughs) handle because the the K-State defense is so good. They're so tough. I think this is the most difficult challenge that West Virginia has faced through the first five weeks. Good team, good start, better offensive talent. So I do think West Virginia wins. But Joe, I think this is a tight game throughout because Kansas State has the better defensive personnel. I think Bill Snyder has his kids ready. They're solid on each level of the defense. This for me is a three or four point game either way. I give the edge to West Virginia because it's at home. I just don't see how you get it 17 points in favor of the Mountaineers. Well, the spread is three, three and a half on the game, but I think speed kills. I know these games are very 
very close, and Kansas State's owned the series since 2011, but the last two games have been decided by seven total points. K-State got a 24-23 victory in Manhattan last year, two years ago in Morgantown, picked up a 26-20 victory over the Mountaineers. This year, they get their revenge. Dana Holgerson and the crew move on to week number six undefeated. They're averaging 200 rushing yards per game. Russell Shell and the crew get it done at home today. Another intriguing battle will go rapid fire. I like Duke to continue the momentum over Virginia today. They're laying four points. I don't see Virginia covering. They're giving up 306 passing yards per game. Duke big today at home. I agree. I, I think Daniel Jones, the redshirt freshman quarterback, played very well, uh, matured in South Bend last week. I think that continues. Virginia has a long way to go under Bronco Mendenhall. All right, rapid fire. Mac special here. Western Mish, Central Mish. I love Cooper Rush and the crew at home. Upset victory. They're catching three over Western Michigan and Zach Terrell later tonight. Love the game. I, I think if you have a chance, watch this game. Should be very entertaining. I'll take Western Michigan to continue rolling. Wow. Here's another one. Last year, uh, South Florida rushed for over 300 yards on Cincinnati. Think the trend continues. Physicality on the defensive line for Cincinnati is an issue. I like South Florida. We'll get Rich's take about this when we come back. We're taking a quick break. This is Lisi and Sermonello right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. When we left off we were talking Tennessee and Butch Jones on the road today at 3.30 to face Georgia and Kirby Smart. Georgia's 4-1 and one since 2011 and has won those games by 5.2 points per game but Tennessee did pick up the 38-31 to 31 victory last year in Neyland Stadium, Rich. They haven't won in Athens since 2006. For me, though, I think this team has momentum. And more importantly, I do not like the way that Kirby Smart secondary is playing, giving up 243 passing yards per game. Listen, all understandable. Uh, I get it. But having watched Tennessee each week, they are so up and down. I, I think this is a down week for the Volunteers. I think they lose to Georgia in a mild upset. I know Nick Chubb might not play, but sometimes backups will take advantage of that opportunity. So Sony Michelle, Brian Herring, I think they run the ball well. I'm going to pick a mild upset and take Georgia between the hedges. Well, I'll, I'll agree with you on Tennessee with this, Rich. They, to me, have not played a complete four-quarter game of football. It's either been a second half or a first half performance where they've had the lead. I haven't seen that start to finish game. So that could be a dangerous thing for this volunteer team as they move on to Athens today. But here's the thing I look at when I look at Georgia. I'm a big Bulldog fan. I burned all of my gear after that loss last week in Oxford. I've bled with the Bulldogs through and through for the years. But I can tell you this about this team. They have struggles, not just defensively, offensively with an inexperienced quarterback in Jacob Eason, even though he was a five-star recruit, they have problems on third down. They're converting 39% on third down. That was their MO and their problem. Their Achilles heel last year, they only converted 31% under Brian Schottenheimer. Compared to the previous three years under Mike Bobo, they converted 49% in 2014, 41% in 2013, and 47% in 2012. And their offensive line has allowed already 12 sacks through four games. That's a matchup you got to keep an eye out on. And I'm not so sure Jacob Eason's ready for the spotlight on prime time later today. 
Why, why should Georgia even show up based on your analysis there? So, I mean, it's going to be a blowout. No, I, I, listen, you, you bring up some great points. I, I think Georgia gives you their best game today back at home. Tennessee's not going to have that home crowd kind of uh, pushing them through the tough periods like they did last week against Florida. If you're right and, and Tennessee wins and they have slayed back-to-back demons in Florida and Georgia, I mean, at that point, anything can happen. But, geez, you might as well forget about the SEC East race. It'll be basically over weeks before Halloween, right? Well, here's the one thing that impressed me about Josh Dobbs. He made plays in the pocket, and when I see that second-half performance in Neyland Stadium, the way Malone and Jennings attacked Jalen Tabor in that secondary, I saw what Georgia did against Chad Kelly and the Ole Miss Rebels' big play-wide receivers. They couldn't challenge them for the ball, so that's the matchup that I look at when I look at this battle, and it's not going to be easy, but again, I could see this game, Tennessee you know, up by seven, down by three, and then all of a sudden two touchdowns and they win this game by 11 and that's what I'm calling I'm not calling for a blowout victory but in the area of 10 to 13 points I see the Vols pulling away with this and continuing the momentum I think this is a confident team uh, entering this matchup you're very fickle, Joe, on I'm Joshua Dobbs. Just, just, just a couple of weeks ago. Just a couple of I'm weeks a believer. ago. I'm a believer. You couldn't say one nice thing. I tried to get you to say something nice about Joshua Dobbs. He's an aerospace engineering major. He's like a 4.0. I was trying to sell you on everything. Now you're pro-Josh Dobbs, so we'll see what happens. Well, quickly, before we go to the next game, who does Tennessee play next week? Uh, you'll have to you'll have to give me that one. Uh, Texas A&M in College Station. So I'm building you yeah, up. Hey, I'm building no, you listen, up. Listen, uh, I will direct you to my article that said I had A&M winning that game against Tennessee and being perfect heading into the Alabama game. So we don't differ as much as you think. Right. Well, I raised my hand at the start of the year in June, and people have known it. I've been on a lot of networks, and I've said on air. Texas A&M will win the SEC West, and I just want to get through South Carolina today. All my Texas A&M faithful, uh, this game scares me. I don't suggest in terms of their laying a big number. Just hope that Trevor Knight and the crew remain focused. I'll take a 7-10 to point victory, but I have my eyes set on that matchup in College Station against Josh Dobbs and the crew. So I'm building up Josh Dobbs as much as I can because I think everybody knows where I'm going next week, Rich. But let's turn our attention to Oklahoma, TCU, intriguing, intriguing battle. Oklahoma has not looked good. Uh, They have not looked good. They're coming out of a bye week, and they want to erase that devastating home loss to Urban Meyer in Ohio State. But this is a TCU team that I think is poised, and they're playing much better under Gary Patterson. And I like what Kenny Hill and this offense are doing. They're passing for 380 yards through the air. And I look at that Oklahoma secondary that's given up 248 per game. I like TCU in this matchup to dominate. I think they dominate Oklahoma. Oklahoma, to me, is that Ferrari that looks great until they hit the curb and they crash into a million pieces. No, I think you're on to something. I, I, we agree here. I'm not sure about domination, but I have TCU winning and covering uh, with a relatively comfortable victory. Here, here's the deal. I like your, uh, I like your uh, Ferrari uh, suggestion there with Oklahoma. I don't see a lot of talent at Oklahoma. I mean, you have the good backfield with Baker Mayfield and Samaje Piran and Joe Mixon, 
but defensively, they're so-so. Offensive line has underachieved. They don't have great targets right now outside of Mark Andrews uh, for Baker Mayfield. So this is a marginal team going into Fort Worth against a confident TCU team that has played better each week, particularly defensively. So I agree with you. I think it's TCU. I think it's Oklahoma going to one and three. And then good luck trying to motivate those kids over the next two months of the season. And here's the mindset that I don't buy. Oh, Oklahoma lost to Ohio State. They have a bye week. They're going to be ready. They have major offensive line issues. They're allowing 11 sacks already. TCU has 14 sacks on the year. If you want to talk coaches, Gary Patterson is a big game head coach. Bob Stoops, even though they got to the playoff last year in recent years outside that Alabama victory after Alabama lost to Auburn in the Iron Bowl and they really had nothing to play for they really haven't stepped up I'm sorry and I'm not sold on this offense with Baker Mayfield I think he misses Sterling Shepard I think he misses Duran Neal and the physicality on the defensive side of the ball we saw it with Nebraska we talked to Ralph Brown with Bo Pelini Bob Stoops built built his reputation on the defensive side of the ball, and that's the side of the ball that's taken strides back in recent years. Very weak. I I think they're going to have problems not just with Kenny Hill, but Kyle Hicks, who's running the ball well. The one concern that I have with TCU is you you, you don't have that Josh Doxson. You don't even have Kevontae Turpin, who is out again this week. So their big playmakers in the passing game are inaccessible for Kenny Hill. So I think you'll see a little more of Kyle Hicks, possibly a little more of Kenny Hill outside of the pocket. I, I don't know if they take off. I don't know if they have enough offensive weapons right now now to run away and hide but I just don't see where I don't I don't see where Oklahoma finds it within them to pull this victory out I think they're a marginal borderline top 25 football team so I agree with you I think TCU continues on their quest to possibly uh, go ahead and win the Big 12 I'm picking by a 17 points I think they start fast start early and they just poured on Oklahoma how do you see it playing out score wise because I really think the Horn Frogs dominate this matchup in Fort Worth yeah I have it closer, obviously. I have a 34-28 TCU, but if it gets into the double digits, I would not be shocked at this point. A lot is going to come down to the moxie of Baker Mayfield. He might have to take this team in the second half and carry them on his shoulders in order for Oklahoma to compete. Another intriguing ACC battle is Mitch Trubisky in North Carolina after that monumental last-second win over Pittsburgh. They now travel to Tallahassee where they're 2 15 and 2 overall against the Seminoles, Rich. Quick thoughts before we go to break. We have about 30 seconds, but I really think Florida State's focused and they dominate this matchup. I don't see it. We can hopefully talk more on the back end, but I think the Florida State defense has not impressed me at all versus Trubisky in that offense. I can't see how this is not at least a competitive football game. Well, when you look at Trubisky in that offense, when you look at Ricky Prohl, you look at Switzer, Howard, and Hollins, they've combined for 70 receptions, 1,028 yards, and nine touchdowns. We'll break this game down. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rapid fire, Rich. We left off with South Florida and Cincinnati. Think Willie Taggart's crew has way too much offense and defensive lines that are laying seven points on the road later tonight in Cincinnati. I think the Bulls run away with this ball game earlier uh, later today. 
Uh, I'll take the points. Haven't been impressed by Cincinnati, but uh, getting points at home, uh, you know, weather's a little bit a little bit chilly in Cincinnati. I'll I'll take Cincinnati in the points. Do we get your pick on Western Michigan, Central Michigan? I'm going with Cooper Rush and the Chippewas. I love the way they play under John Bonamigo. I know P.J. Fleck, great coach, great offense, led by Zach Terrell, but I like Central Michigan. They're a gutty team and play very well at home. Chippewas in the upset. Great rivalry in the Mac, Joe. Should be a great game tonight. I think it'll be very entertaining and high scoring. But I'll take Western Michigan. If you look at what they did against Northwestern, Illinois beat easily a couple weeks ago. So I'll take the Broncos to continue their perfect season for at least another week. Upset special. I'm sipping Boilermakers. They're on the road to face DJ Durkin and Maryland. I love the Boilermakers. And they get the upset victory tonight, today, 3.30 on the road. David Blau and the crew, Markel Jones, Yancey, D'Angelo Yancey, get it done in Maryland for the upset. They moved to 3-1 and one on the year. I think at some point you've been run over by Mike Allstott. Uh, uh, love Mike Allstott. Corey Rogers, uh, who doesn't too. Like, who doesn't like Mike Allstott? But I, I think he whacked you in the head at some point, and you cannot get the Boilermakers out of your head. No, I, I like Maryland. DJ Durkin has these kids confident, albeit against weak competition, but I think they hold serve tonight. Purdue is on its way out. Daryl Hazel is on his way out. I, I, uh, I'm going to go uh, Terps. Okay, Georgia Tech, uh, I'm picking the straight-up upset. Miami gets caught looking ahead to Florida State. How do you have this game playing out? Uh, Miami 33-24. I have the Canes winning and covering. I think uh, I think we saw the best of Georgia Tech a couple of weeks ago. I think we saw the worst against Clemson. Miami has too much defensive speed, too much Brad Kaya on offense. They win by nine. We had Ralph Brown on. He likes Nebraska. I think Nebraska wins, but West Lunt and Illinois with Lovey Smith keep this game very, very close. I think schematically they match up very, very well against the Cornhuskers will get Rich's take about who he likes in Memorial Stadium, Nebraska, Illinois. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. We're going rapid fire with the rest of the games. Week number five. Stay with us at, right here. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Last segment of the show, we were talking North Carolina and Mitch Trubisky going up against Dalvin Cook and Florida State. The one thing that hasn't changed, Rich, is North Carolina's rush defense, giving up 240 yards on the ground. I look at Florida State, the way they pounded the rock with Dalvin Cook, seems like it might be a close game, but I don't think Florida State's looking ahead. I think they dominate this matchup. They have nothing to lose the rest of the year, plus they have a matchup Miami, Jimbo Fisher and the crew get it done today in a big way against North Carolina. Give me a score, Joe. I think it's up there, forty-five twenty-one. I really think it's okay. up there. Wow. I think it's. Okay. I, I, I think it's up there. I, I, I think yeah, they, we, we both matchup. have. Yeah, we both have Florida State in the 40s. Uh, I have no problem with that. You mentioned Dalvin Cook. North Carolina is a weak defensive team. But where you and I differ is on Carolina's ability to score. I mean, we watched Florida State against Louisville. We watched Florida State against Ole Miss. We watched Florida State against South Florida. Where have we seen a good defensive effort out of this team? And and now you face the dual threat ability of Trubisky, the running of Elijah Hood, all of those receivers 
led by Matt Collins and, and Ryan Switzer and, and Bug Howard. I think North Carolina scores enough to at least get the cover. I have it 41-33 Florida State. I don't think, like that Seminole defense. I agree with that statement, but I think Florida State can run the football at will on this North Carolina defensive front seven. And more importantly, Rich, keep Trubisky on the sidelines. I think that's the recipe for helping out their defense. So I, I think Florida State wins this game in a big way, but we'll see how it plays out 3.30 a little bit later today. Let's turn our attention to the big one. Want to get this selection in Louisville and Clemson, 8 o'clock tonight. I love what Dabo Sweeney's done in terms of big games. I know Brett Venables will have this defense ready. I like Clemson in this matchup, even though they haven't looked 100%. They'll be 100% on a national stage tonight. Think it's close early, but they pick up a 13-point victory in Death Valley over the Cardinals later tonight. I I agree with your assessment. Uh, I really have been just overwhelmed at what Dabo has been able to do. Just the cultural shift over the years. You mentioned the ability to win close games. The atmosphere that Louisville will be walking into tonight. And Brent Venables, I I believe, walks out of this evening, Joe, as the MVP, the hero of this game. Because I think his defense does a good enough job of containing Lamar Jackson. I'm not sure what to expect out of Deshaun. I I don't know if we see Deshaun Watson of 2015 or Deshaun Watson of September of 2016, but I think there will be enough offensively for Clemson to get that victory and take control of the ACC race. I'm throwing out, uh, not an upset, uh, just a big underdog that will play very, very well tonight. Nobody's expecting them. Look out for Kentucky to challenge Alabama. When I mean challenge, they lose this game by 17 points. They're catching 36 points on the road. Blake Barnett, the backup quarterback, transferred. He wants to transfer from Alabama. Tim Williams got arrested Thursday morning. A lot of negativity surrounding this program all of a sudden. And Mark Stoops needs to win. They need to pull out all the stops. It's an SEC game as well. Look for Kentucky to challenge Alabama. Uh, The Crimson Tide win, but it's not going to be easy. A lot closer than people think later today. See, I think the opposite. In terms of when when there's a hint of controversy in Tuscaloosa, you mentioned Williams and his arrest, Blake Barnett now looking for a new home, uh, the backup quarterback. I, I think that makes Nick Saban ornery. I, I think it ticks him off when his team is in the news for all of the wrong reasons. So I think he'll have his kids fired up. I think he'll really take it to Kentucky, which which is just that had the wheels come off at this point. They're not going to get the victory. I don't think they'll be close in the second half. And, you know, we'll spend Sunday debating whether or not this is the beginning of the end for Mark Stoops. Interesting game in the Coliseum. I don't see how they make USC a favorite in this matchup against an undefeated Arizona State team, Rich. I think USC wins strictly because they have to, but I really like the way Arizona State plays. I mean, this is an intriguing battle, but again, I don't see any way USC is favored in this matchup. Well, favored by a lot, too. Right I, I agree with you. That's what that last I saw was nine and a half, which Ten. is a big surprise. Ten, nine and a half. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I listen, I think USC wins. I was impressed by Sam Darnold, the quarterback, last week against Utah. I think he'll he'll be the hero later this evening. I think he'll continue to play well. He gives USC an option outside of the pocket, not just as a passer, but a scrambler as well. So I have USC 38, Arizona State 31. That looks like a really big number for an Arizona State team that's gradually gaining confidence. Here's two underdogs that I think will play very well on the road. 
well, one's on the road, one's at home. I, Michigan State, since 2011, is 5-0 over Indiana by 27 points per game. I think people are just expecting Tyler O'Connor and the crew to just walk all over the Hoosiers. Look out for Legau and the crew, Ricky Jones Jr., Divine Redding. I think they strike the upset over the Spartans tonight, 8 o'clock in Indiana. Give me your thoughts. Well, I, I like your line of thinking. I think this will be a more competitive game because Michigan State is confused right now. I, I don't think they know if they're the team that, that upset Notre Dame or if they're the team that got hammered by Wisconsin last week. This is a difficult bounce-back game for them on the road against a motivated Indiana team. I think it'll be more competitive than Vegas is saying at this point, but at the end of the day, the defensive prowess of Michigan State, the ability to run the ball against a soft Indiana defense, that'll lead them to a victory, Joe. But I do think this will be a more competitive game because I'm having a hard time believing the Spartans will be pumped up for this trip to Bloomington. Yeah, it should be a very interesting matchup. Here's another game before we go that I really like. I think Missouri pushes LSU and Ed Ogeron to the limit. I agree. Tonight in Baton Rouge, this is a Missouri Tiger team that's averaging 43 points per game. They're putting up 391 passing yards per game. LSU's defense allowing 225 yards through the air. Where's the emotional mindset of the Tigers? Have a great weekend for Rich Sermono. This is Joe Lisi. Enjoy the games. Stay with us each and every Saturday right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. When Rich and I left off, we were talking Missouri-LSU. I just think Missouri will play this game a lot tougher than people think. I think LSU picks up three-point victory, Rich. We have three minutes to try to get through as many games as possible. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I think this is going to be more competitive than people think. I'll take those points in Missouri, which plays very well defensively. Listen, LSU changed its coach. It didn't change its quarterback situation, so Danny Etling will struggle tonight. Here's another underdog that I like. SMU on the road against P.J. Walker and Jahad Thomas. I think this game could be a lot closer. I wouldn't be shocked if SMU picks up the victory in Philly at 12 o'clock today. Would be a big deal for Chad Morris. He is gradually making differences on the hilltop, Joe. I think you'll see a better SMU program as the season progresses. It would be nice to have Matt Davis behind center, but Ben Hicks is who's going to be leading that team for the rest of the way. Here's an under-the-radar ACC team. Both teams playing very well. Wake Forest undefeated on the road against NC State. NC State has won three of the last five by 26 points per game. They're laying 12.5 points at home against Wake Forest. I like Dave Dorian as coach. I think this team knocks out Wake Forest, gives them their first loss on the year, and does win this game by about 17 to 20 points. Speed kills. They have speed on the perimeter. Never happen. I could never see it being that big of a spread because I like the Wake Forest defense. Dave Clawson has done a great job of getting those defenders ready. Keep keep the game to a low-scoring type of a matchup. I think it'll be close. NC State wins, but that's a lot of points to be giving an undefeated team. Battle of the Armed Forces. Navy goes on the road to Colorado Springs to take on Air Force. I love the Falcons. I think they're one of the best teams in the Mountain West Conference. I love the way they played last week against Utah State. The momentum Momentum continues at home over Navy. Agreed. I think this is a very good Air Force defense. Navy now down to a backup quarterback. I think they'll struggle against the Falcons. Uh, Air Force takes a lead in the Commander-in-Chief's trophy. 
Cochran playing for the wagon wheel at Kent State. I love Terry Bowden and the crew, even though he's a personal friend. The Zips are focused and playing very well on both sides of the ball. Uh, getting a lot out of that passing attack, too, which has been the big surprise for me this year, so I'll go with Akron as well. well one more matchup that we didn't talk about, Auburn and UL Monroe. I love you on Monroe with the points, Rich. Tell me why you're a Warhawks fan this week. You're just down on Gus, I guess. Huh? I am very down on Gus. This is what it's all about. Stay with us each and every Saturday, 10 to 12, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. For Rich Sermonello, I'm Joe Lisi. Enjoy the games. Have a great weekend, everyone.